Hi, I'm Troy Richards. And I'm Daniel Mawson. Welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. I'm the senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Jackson, Missouri, and Daniel's our worship pastor. Our church is reading through the Bible in a year, and on this podcast, we examine highlights from this week's reading. We talk about the passages devotionally and try to answer questions people have shared with us. Our hope is that you'll discover how amazing God's Word is and how enjoyable it is to read for yourself, which is the key to understanding Jesus. My name is Daniel, and I'm here with Pastor Troy, da, 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 da. and we're really excited to do the uh, the podcast today. We are. We're missing it's, our it's just stereotypical us. third member, we but we don't have a guest today. I think we can carry. I think we yes. can do this. We haven't. We 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 said we were gonna go out and solicit guests and have you know yeah. people prepared. We almost had one. We almost it fell yeah. through yeah. this time. But we're gonna work harder at that. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. we do like having the guests on. That does add an interesting flavor to it. And if you would like to be a guest on the Understanding Jesus podcast, just uh, Hit us up. Yeah, contact us. We would love to have you here. I know. It, it could be your ticket to fame and fortune. Fame. <laughs> <laughs> Leave us behind. Yeah. Uh, for sure. <laughs> Get your own podcast. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Uh, well, what are we talking about today, Troy? Oh, my goodness. Uh, this week's reading uh, is, I'm just going to, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. This is we're this is one of the last good ones we have for a little bit. Uh, yeah, as we move into next week. Uh, it's kind of dry, but uh, this week is uh, really good. Uh, so we end out Second Kings, and so we have we just had the death of Elisha, and now so we're going through the last kings of Judah, and uh, and and so we see Israel. This is in the end of Second Kings. You have the wrapping up of Israel's demise and being captured by the Assyrians, while Judah escapes being captured by the Assyrians, uh, they are then captured by Babylon and um, punished for their sins. And so they go into captivity, and then Second Kings comes to an end, and we begin First Chronicles. Now, if you aren't aware, First and Second Kings was written well before First uh, and Second Chronicles. First and Second Chronicles is kind of a post-exilic uh, book, and so it's uh, so it comes later. So it's just uh, two different perspectives on the same thing. There's a reference to Chronicles in First and Second Kings. You'll say things like this: is, "This is in the Chronicles." That is not the Chronicles that we're going to be reading as we start uh, that we started out. Uh, we also did some Psalms and Proverbs. The Psalms are always good. Proverbs. So we went through Proverbs 18 and 19. And then uh, we finished out the Gospel of John, uh, so we have the incredible uh, end of of uh, Jesus' burial, resurrection, and man, uh, spoiler alert, and restoration uh. restoration of uh, Peter. So that's uh, some really that's some really good reading there. Uh, the um, uh, the other thing uh, we get into Acts, Acts picks up really fast. So you have Jesus ascending, you have um, uh, then Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit being given. So all kinds of – there's more things, a lot more to going on than we ever will have the opportunity to talk about. So when, when Daniel and I are talking about the things we're reading, we're just giving you a very small sample. So I hope – I want to encourage you to go back and read or pick up the reading. Where you are. If you want to just pick up reading in Acts, read Acts. Great. I don't suggest – Starting in First Chronicles in the Old Testament. Good call. I'm gonna yeah. say I wouldn't do that. Acts is super good though. That's what I'm, my Act, personal quiet time is yes. in Acts right now. Act, it's the, really yeah, good. The Book of Acts is is a, is, a, is a decent. I always say to start with the Gospel of John, but uh, the Book of Acts is also a good place to start reading the Word of God. Yeah. So anyway, we'll come. We'll when we come back, we'll talk more about what we what we got out of it.
Welcome back to the Understanding Jesus podcast. We are ready to talk about what we learned devotionally in this week's reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Pastor Troy said, if if you have not been reading along with us, this is about the time of year when most of the people have dropped off. Yeah. They're either going to continue on through the year or they're done. Yeah. But they, if you they like, smile politely when you ask them yeah. if you're still in the reading. It's and, like, uh... Yeah, this is a this is as far as the New Testament readings go, and the Psalms. The Psalms are really good right now. The Psalms and New Testament is really good. So if you just want to pick up even with like part of it, obviously reading through the Bible in a year it might be out of the realm of possibility for you if you have dropped <laughs> off a while ago. But if you want to pick up with just the New Testament or yeah. just part of it, like just jump in on part of it. We're going to only talk about parts today. Yeah. So I can't think of a uh, a reason that would be like uh, I don't read any of it. Yeah. So uh, if you read any, if you read any part of it, if you just read the Psalms, just yeah. read the Proverbs, just read something, uh, just read something. <laughs> Open yeah. up the Word of God. I read know. It. Yeah. So, so we're excited. And, yeah. And we hope that as we share with you the things that we see, that the, the, you could just say, "Hey, I want to read." A, oh, this is one of the reasons why we do this. We want you to hear what we read, and we hope you'll go, "Wait a second, I want to read that," and then she'll just read that. Yeah. If you just read what we are talking about, that's that's fine. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Well, do you want to start or you want me to start? Go ahead, you start. Okay, I'll start. Um, in John, we finished up the book of John. It started the book of Acts. And at the end of John, um, Jesus is talking to the author, to John. Um, and uh, Peter's like, um, is is he going to is he gonna die too? And and Jesus says, if I want him to, um, to live until I come back, what is that to you, right? Um, so it's this little little exchange, um, but I just I just took that like as if God wants him to do to blank, what is that to me, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, and then his his tag on the end is as for you, follow me. Mm-hmm. So I was just thinking like how how callings differ in people. Like for Peter, his calling was to be crucified mm-hmm. as Jesus was, right? And um, ish, and when he in tradition say he was crucified upside, upside down because mm-hmm. um, he didn't think he was worthy to be crucified in the same yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and for John, it was to write the book of Revelation and to see the um, the end of time, right? And and he kind of he does see Jesus coming mm. back, which is pretty interesting. But um, but yeah, if um, I think we have a tendency, I have a tendency to look at what somebody else is doing and their method of ministry and their um, MO for whatever it may be in following God and compare it to what God has called me to do personally and compare them and think that, okay, if I'm following God 100% the way he's told me to, and they're not doing it exactly the way I'm doing it, then that must mean that they're not following God 100% mm-hmm. right. of the way that God's told them to. Um, and, and I'm drawn to this section because he says, um, if I've called him to do this, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. Right. And so it's just the, the varying of callings in people's lives. Um, I think if we can just keep that at the forefront of their mind, because some people have um, the ability to do things that I have never dreamed of being successful in my ministry, right? Mm. And and God gives them a lot of success in doing what they're doing. And I would look at that and say, if I were to do that, I would be pretty close to sinning, right? Because mm. that is not the gifting or that's not the level of comfort that I have. Um, God hasn't said in the Bible not to do that, but I just can't see how that's productive. Well, maybe God has given them that window in their ministry to do that. Um, so just holding holding the ministry that we do, and, and it's not just like staff people at churches, it's everyone, whatever ministry God has laid on your heart to do, do it to the best of your ability and celebrate with joy when somebody else does it completely different from the way you do it. Hmm. Um, so 
Yeah, I think that transfers over to when God says, "Hey, I don't want you watching TV, or I don't want you to read, yeah, the, you know, totally. the, don't want you to read these books or whatever." A tendency we have is to say, unless you can clearly draw, obviously there are certain things that are moral absolutes that we have in the Word of God, but uh, but to uh, to deny ourselves certain things or whatever is sometimes just a personal, like like the Nazarite vow. You yeah, know, it's like they sure. didn't cut their hair, they didn't, you know, whatever they did. Nothing inherently yeah. wrong with cutting hair. Right, exactly. So, but, Depending but, on who but, you ask. Yeah, so, so, but that was their calling. That was what, yeah. it, there was something inherently wrong with them cutting their hair, right. as Samson found out. But, uh, but that doesn't mean that applies to everybody. It doesn't mean that he's holier because he didn't cut his hair. Mm-hmm. It just means that that's what God has asked him to do, and he should be faithful to it. And if God does ask you, if you, do, do, he does lead you to make some type of vow or whatever, the important thing is that you keep it, regardless of what other people do. Um, that we read that story a while back uh, in the Old Testament about uh, the guy who had the message. Remember, he came, the prophet who came to the king of, uh, uh, to, it was a Jeroboam, I guess, mm-hmm. but. Uh, and said, I have this message from the Lord, and I can't eat anything at your table, and I have to go back a different way that I came. You know, it was that was his specific thing. He broke it, and he suffered uh, miserably for it. Uh, but um, but anyway, that um, and I I think I don't know if it was in this past week's reading, but did you notice that uh, his bones were? Um, Still, yes. Yeah, did you see yes, that? Yes, I his, did. Where they but found I, his bones? Yes. And it was like, uh, it's like, oh wow, like, those are still there. Jo- I think it was Josiah, but I think it was the were, man. The, the names of people yeah. and the kings. Yeah. Like, so, <laughs> but I think they were going through and and digging up stuff mm-hmm. and so forth. Yes, because he goes through. It's like this one last big hurrah of he goes back and um and goes back into the kingdom and goes into Israel's territory. Now Israel's been taken by mm-hmm, Syria, mm-hmm. but he goes and he tears down the Jeroboam's altars or whatever that he built. I mean, he was zealous for the Lord to get everything straight. And when they were doing it, that prophet had predicted that Josiah would do what he was doing. And they said, because he said, what's that tomb marker over there? And he said, and the, and the, the elders are like, that's the guy (laughs) who prophesied hundreds of years ago that you're going to do what you're doing today by name, you know? And it was like, wow, that's pretty potent. So he said, we're going to leave that to rest. Yeah. We're going to, we're just going to leave that there. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, good stuff. Okay, and speaking of Second uh, Kings, that's where I wanted to go back to Second Kings chapter eighteen, and uh, and I, I we were talking about Hezekiah um, in chapter eighteen. The um, uh, the thing in when you're reading in as you get into Second Kings, just a little historical background here is the nation of Israel never follows God. I mean, they, once from Jeroboam on, they always go at, they go in a pagan direction. While they have moments where God shows them mercy and grace and what they are doing, they consistently go after false gods. And, uh, and so they are judged early. And so they are taken and removed and by Assyria. Uh, but Assyria uh, comes against... Um, uh, Judah and Judah never falls to Assyria, but you have this moment in uh, in Second Kings 18 when um, when it well I'll just read it to you. It comes uh, in verse 13. It says, "In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Assyria's king Sennacherib attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. So King Hezekiah of Judah sent word to the king of Assyria at Lachish, I have done wrong. Withdraw from me. Whatever you demand from me, I will pay." 
the king of Samaria, the king of Assyria, demanded eleven tons of silver and one ton of gold from King Hezekiah of Judah. So Hezekiah gave him all the silver found in the Lord's temple and in the treasuries of the king's palace. At that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the Lord's sanctuary and from the doorpost, as he had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. Then the king of Assyria sent the field marshal, the chief of staff, and his royal spokesman, along with the massive army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. They advanced and came to Jerusalem, and they took their position by the aqueduct of the upper pool by the road to the launderer's field. Um, and anyway, what's happening here is you have uh, this threat, and, and Hezekiah is maintaining this life of faithfulness, life of faithfulness, life of faithfulness, very devout in maintaining all the things uh, with the temple, making sure that they are obeying God the way according to the word and so forth, and uh, and trying to uh, undo what his father has done, and uh, fathers, and uh, and so he he's being very faithful to get everything in line with the, with the Lord. But then, but then there comes this moment where Assyria starts to capture some of their cities, and he caves, and it's just this moment of uh, whatever you want, I'm, and he apologizes. And it's like I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, and 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 you can you can feel this inside when you think of the times when you try to be bold in your faith, and then you get so far, and then it's like ah, this isn't working, and so I'm just gonna have to do what I normally do, mm. like when uh, you know I think of times when you say, and, and I'm very careful about this because. Uh, I know there are people who will stop taking medication as an act of faith and believe that um, that they caved in and started taking the medication again and so forth. You have to be very confident. I mean, I mean, these are things where, like, I would almost think you'd need a burning bush or something, God's audible voice to speak and say, this is what I want you to do in order to do not what your doctor is telling you to do. But what I'm talking about is when we are motivated out of fear, when fear begins to, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna move, or I'm not gonna quit my job, or I'm not gonna buy that house. I think in terms of uh, times when I needed a car, and I, I thought God's gonna provide me a car, and we're not gonna go into debt, which I think is a really good example. I don't think God wants us to go into debt. So you think I'm not gonna go into debt, I'm not gonna go into debt, I'm not gonna go into debt, and then it gets right up until the moment, <laughs> and it's like, ah. I'm going to have to do this. Uh, an example I, I, that sticks out in my mind, though, is I had a friend, and he felt that God did not want him to go back. He got out of a profession that was very stressful, very difficult for his family, very much a strain on him, very much a strain on his relationship with the Lord. Um, he got fired, and so he's not in that profession anymore. Mm. And so I was like, don't go back into that profession. And, you know, it's like, so, but he had so much severance pay, and he's relying on that, and that money starts to, and he can see the end start to run yep. out. And we were getting ready to have a prayer meeting, and he wasn't there. And somebody said, he's gone for an interview, going back to the and same that, job yeah. that he had. And it was like, and it was so hard. I mean, the mm. job he got was so difficult, and it was like such a, it was five times worse than what he had done before. And it was like, you're so close right there. But at the same time, God took care of him and blessed him. And, and I mean, he ultimately, God works all things out to good to those who love the Lord. But when we get afraid to, when we get afraid, when God asks us to do something, there are these moments where conventional wisdom is sometimes our greatest enemy, where it's like the world is saying, 
just do what you feel like you need to do in order to take care of this, but you know God has told you not to go down that path, not to go that direction, and so forth. And and we are forced to choose an allegiance. We're forced to choose, am I going to uh, give in to the world's ways of doing this, or I'm just, am I going to continue to trust God and believe in him? Um, and so Hezekiah reveals, you know, even though he had uh, done a lot of really good things and is remembered as being a great faithful king. I mean, remember, David also is a great faithful king and mm-hmm. had some serious flaws. Hezekiah reveals he has some serious flaws. And and those come out later, too, as he has this issue with the leaders from Babylon coming and showing all his riches and so forth. And um, I call that the Hezekiah principle, where you were the leaders from Babylon were visiting and Hezekiah showed him everything that was in his treasury and everything. And Isaiah's like, what are you doing? <laughs> and and he's like, ah, they're from far away. What could possibly happen? What could they do? And Isaiah's like, well, here's what's going to happen. Uh, Cause I have a word from the Lord. They're going to come back and they're going to take everything you just showed them and everything. And then he says, but it's not going to happen in your lifetime. And, and Hezekiah's like, Yes. Yes. <laughs> Win. It's going to be my kids who suffer, <laughs> not me. And so, which also reveals a little bit about Hezekiah as well. And, and you know, that's the thing that's hard sometimes to take into think, thinking is when you're reading about these great people of the Bible, they're not so great. You know, it's it's they have g- moments of greatness, and when they are faithful to God, when they when they're obedient to God, when God is empowering them, uh, they do amazing things. Uh, and and that's what I think James tells us about uh, Elijah. You know, he's a man just like we are, and he prayed, and it stopped raining, and he prayed, and it started raining, and he's saying the prayers of a righteous man uh, avail much. It's 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 when we are filled with the righteousness of God that makes us great. It's not anything about us that makes us. Great. There was nothing about them, nothing about Moses, Elijah, Elisha. Hezekiah, King David, all the all the people in the Bible, the only thing that makes them great is the God that they serve. And when they're obedient, God does great things. And when they're disobedient or when they're weak, they're just mm. like the rest of us. And righteous doesn't mean sinless. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, and per- perfect mm-hmm. in the Bible means just simply that they're doing everything. Yeah. Like Job was perfect. Yeah, but. Because Obviously. he because he sacrificed he did the sacrifice he did right. the atonement that was mm-hmm. necessary for his sins. But he even fails at the end. Yeah, you know, like so. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Wonderful. Yes. Wonderful. When we when we get threatened with the loss of life, when we get threatened with destruction of everything that we have, when we start thinking about serious losing, um, it's it's I mean it's easy. To, you know, I don't know if you ever played the scenario in your head where you know if I ever got captured, taken a hostage, and somebody's holding a gun to my right. head and says, "Deny, would, I, would yeah. you deny Jesus or whatever?" Game. Yeah. Uh, well, the reality is is most of us would deny Christ mm-hmm. because we're just we're just weak. We're just weak people. Yeah. Well, if we're not willing to to give up some of our little comforts, you know, what makes us think that when it comes down to it, we're gonna jump off the cliff and just take the bullet, you know? Yeah. I mean, we're not willing to to trust God with our money or our kids or our life. Well, it. One of the things that I, because I feel like I've thrown Hezekiah under the bus here. One of the things to remember about Hezekiah, and he's complaints. I've been having complaining about this. He's like, what are you doing, man? He watches our podcast. That's right. He watches our <laughs> podcast. Uh, and uh, anyway, we. One of the things to remember is is that he did, uh, when push came to shove, he did maintain his faith. Yeah. I mean, when they did come and do the siege and so forth, he cried out to God, and you kind of see this progression. 
the the fact that he did have his house in order, the fact that he did make all this effort, yeah, he had this moment of weakness, but but then the enemy kept coming and taking more. The enemy never it's never enough to strip all the gold off the temple walls mm-hmm. and they're gonna be satisfied. They're they're coming back for more and more and more. And so it got to a point where it's like, All right, I, I you give me no choice, I have to turn to God now. Mm-hmm. And and he did and in complete faith and and God delivered him. So, uh, so it, that's. I think there's also that. Uh, it, it's that. Yes, we are weak, but we need to be doing everything we can in those good moments to connect ourselves to God and to grow in our faith and so forth. And uh, because that's ultimately that's that's the relationship that's going to bring us salvation. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's wonderful. Um, speaking of righteous people and unrighteous people. Uh, I was looking at Psalm 73, 16 through 17, um, and I just figured I'd go ahead and read that uh, for you here. It says, uh, when I, so, okay, I guess he's talking about how wicked people and, and unrighteous people, um, which I just like that word wicked in the <laughs> Psalms. Like, that's very, uh, yeah. I, that's, that's a potent word, but you know, I'm talking about the, the unjustness, uh, perceived unjustness of wicked people living long lives and having lots of money and just having life go pretty swimmingly for them. And so um, in verse 16 and 17, it says, When I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless until I entered God's sanctuary. Mm. Then I understood their destiny. And, um, and I wrote down, it's, it's like not, should, not that we should put our fingers in our ears or put blinders over our eyes right, as we walk through life, but we have to recognize when the narrative of the enemy is trying to distract us from the truth. And the narrative that we're just bombarded with day after day, just living innocently living our lives, not trying to necessarily go out and look for other worldviews, but we're just inundated with this idea that um, the way that is contrary to God's word is the best life now, right? Mm. Um, the best way to get um, things that you want, there's like no consequences for living outside of God's law, outside of God's will. Um, you live how you want and you get what you want. It's that simple, right? That's the narrative that the world gives us. And to all appearances, it seems like that's right, you know? Um, and then, then you return to corporate worship and then you return to the reading of God's word and you, you spend time in the presence of the Holy Spirit and you're reminded every time like, oh, this is why I am connected to the Lord. This is why I stay under that umbrella because outside of this, is just pain and suffering. Like the 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 world, like it looks on TV and on Facebook and Instagram, whatever you watch, TikTok. Um, it's it looks like that the world's got it all together until that you're with the body of believers and until you're in in the presence of the Lord. Then you realize, oh no, this is what together feels like. Mm. This is and then and then in there you look out and you see everyone else's lives and you realize that they're actually falling apart. Um, their life is the whole world is coming down and it's and not that we should again put our fingers to our ears and blah 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 i'm not going to look at the world la 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 i'm just not going to engage with you i don't think that's the message of the bible at all but i think we need to be able to have a little bit of discernment and when we aren't able to have discernment then just run back to the presence of the lord and and say okay i I, i'm not seeing it but I, i need to dwell with god and trust that um, the end of what I'm doing is eternity of paradise with him. Right. And the, the end of what they're doing is just destruction. Right. And Paul tells us that we are to be 
uh, in the world and not of it. But uh, and I and because you can't take yourself out of the world. And mm-hmm. he even says, you know, it's not it's not about. But he he specifically tells us that we shouldn't hang around people who are in the church mm-hmm. who are worldly. Yeah. And and because that's that's the greatest uh, distraction from our faith are people who are within the church, within the body of Christ, who aren't practicing the word of God. Those are the most dangerous people. Um, when we go into the world, there's there's supposed to be this mindset that oh, I'm in the world. I'm you know, and so I have an armor on. You know, I'm going out. I'm in. I'm in a battlefield. Right. And, and in the church, it's supposed to be a safe zone mm-hmm. that I'm amongst people I can trust. That's why I said to be very to we'll just completely avoid people who are within in the church who are not uh, following the word of God because they're the ones who um, are going to strike you at your most vulnerable. But it, yeah, you're right. I think the church has gotten pretty comfortable and lax in going out into the world and feeling like that. I think one has led to the other. Mm-hmm. I think hanging around worldly people in the church has gotten us comfortable being worldly. And now we go into the world thinking that it's no different. Than... Yeah. Well, and then we invite the world into our gathering, right? That's yeah. like, it, it's it's like most people, most people, Christians that I talk to you, evangelism 101, right? Invite them to church, right? Right. Seems simple enough. Invite them to church. They'll hear the gospel. That's it. Um, and then, then you've got people come to church. That's like the extent that there's salvation quote unquote goes. Right. And we've got, you're surrounded by 15 people who don't really have a relationship with the Lord that you're allowing a lot of influence into your right. into your gathering, and that's that's really it's really rough. That's why we we are supposed to be the witnesses. Right. We take the gospel personally outside of these walls and engage with them, and um, and then you know see them saved, invite them into the gathering of the whole, of the body of believers, and watch the Holy Spirit do work in their life. Um, but we get it backwards so often, and we pay the price. Yeah, and I think sometimes we think there's some value in getting people to come and be a part and say they're a member of our church when they're not following Christ. They're not following Christ. And it's like, what is the value in that? Why? Yeah, <laughs> as if like we want like numbers to, yeah. as if we want butts and seats, you know? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that that's God's gonna reward that somehow. Mm-hmm. And and I'm like, who do you think is doling out the rewards? <laughs> Once you look at the standards, and, uh, and, I'm, and I get it. It's fun to see yeah. a lot of people you know, in there and be surrounded by a lot of your friends. But what are we doing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. It's yeah. Anyway, become a country club. Yep. Okay, I'm in Acts chapter three, and in Acts chapter three, uh, Peter and John have this amazing moment to me because uh, Acts is exciting to me because this is just real guys. I mean, not to say that <laughs> the things that Jesus does are not amazing. Obviously, they're amazing, but it's Jesus. You know, it's right. kind of like, oh, of course, Jesus did that. Yeah. But these are just normal guys just <laughs> who don't have anything. And and I love this passage uh, because it's like they they look at him. There's this guy who is uh, at this place uh, called uh, the gate called Beautiful or whatever, and oh, yeah. uh, and so he is um, at he begs for money every day. So people bring him there, and he sits outside the temple and he begs for money. And this is his existence and so forth. And uh, and he uh, asks them, and he says, and Peter says in verse six, he says, but Peter said, I don't have silver or gold. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping and praising God. 
All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment of what had happened to them, happened to him. And it says, while he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran toward them in what is now called Solomon's Colonnade or Solomon's Porch. Uh, so you have this man who's healed, and he leaps, and he jumps, and he's walking, and he's holding on to Peter and John. You can just see this visual in your mind. He gets healed, and now he's just so excited and demonstrating that his legs are really, really working uh-huh. at this point as if they'd never before. And and Luke, the writer of Acts, is is making sure that we get this, that we that we understand this is not something maybe, you know, he's like hobbling around a little bit. This is like a profound, he can't walk, and now he's jumping up and down and running around. And also that it was very well known that everybody saw it. That's one of the things you, you try to say, why is he, why is the writer of the book writing it this way? Why is he including these words? And one of the things that Luke is trying to say is, this wasn't a private event. This wasn't Peter sharing a story about a thing that happened. This is something that happened in open public to someone that everybody saw every day. Sometimes we we get caught up in the the thinking that the point of the story is that the guy got healed. And so therefore, I am lame and God wants to heal me. And that wasn't the point of the story. The point of the whole gospel is, is God's going to heal all of us in the resurrection. We're all going to get new bodies. We're all going to, we're all going to leap in, in for joy and all of, of eternity. But the point of the story here is, is to demonstrate that not only did God, was God's power being made manifest in the apostles, but people saw God's power being made manifest mm-hmm. in the gospel. And it, it was, it made their, made their message, their witness of the resurrection of Jesus, uh, more believable. And so, because not only now can he walk, but everyone can see he can walk. And so this draws a crowd together, and now they have an opportunity for Peter to then proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, And this is why God heals people in visible ways in order to bring glory to himself, in order to demonstrate the truth of his word. It's why Jesus fed people. It's why Jesus did miracles. He was trying to say, uh, I, I'm doing this to get your attention. And now, here's what I really want you to know. Here's what I really want you to understand. Um, otherwise, his whole ministry would have just been going to every town and healing everybody. And he just would have stayed, just never died, and just, you know, and just gone around and healed people and everything. The problem was, once he healed you, you weren't, your, your body's still dying. Death was the, the problem that had to be overcome. And so that's what he was trying to defeat. And so this is, and, and if you think about it, how we are kind of silly people, or faithless, I guess is what you want to say. We're like, yeah, yeah, but I've got this kidney problem, <laughs> you know? And it's like, Jesus is like, you know, I died so you can have a new life for all eternity. He goes, yeah, 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 I know, but I'm having trouble peeing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, and, and Jesus is like, did you hear what I said? <laughs> I got a new body for you. You're going to live forever with this new body, enjoy life. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. But this bunion on my toe, if you could just fix that, you know, and he's like, wow, you guys are thick. Uh, and, and that's that's what we focus on. All we can focus on is our temporary pain right now instead of focusing on our eternal glory. I mean, he's like, I've got a new body for you. It's like, you know, if somebody came to me and said, uh, I've got a brand new, think of the best car I can think of car, you know, waiting for you. It's just 
on the other side of the hill, you know. And it's like, yeah, but these brakes are squeaking. How do I, I'm not, I don't care anymore. It's so? like limp this car over the hill and get it to the new car because that's that's where I'm going. And that's the same way it is with this body. I just got to piece it together mm-hmm. to get it to uh, to the other side uh, so I can get the new body that's waiting for or me. Or even better in, in that analogy, like when – like when this car r- runs down, wouldn't you run that car harder? Like, <laughs> yeah. wouldn't you like uh, hold tr- nothing work back? It to death? That's right. Yeah. Hold, hold nothing back. Exactly. I remember somebody. I remember for years people would say, "Be careful! Don't burn the candle at both ends. Don't whatever." And then and then I started reading people were like, "No, burn out for the burn glory out. of God." Yeah. yeah, it's like give it all. Get, hold nothing back. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I like that better. I think I think mm-hmm. that's ex- actually more in line with what Jesus mm-hmm. was calling us to do. For sure. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's a man. There's so much in that little story, mm. right there. That's yeah. why. That's why you guys have got to read this with us because we can talk some, about something for five minutes. But it's like, I mean, we could have an hour discussion yeah. just on this. It's deep. One it's section. Good. Um, I'm not gonna double down on it. I'm gonna jump back to Second Kings. But, um, yeah, that's really good. Um, you you were talking about when the um when Israel fell to the Assyrians. Mm. Well, when Judah fell to Babylon is where I'm going to hit on in second Kings 24. And it's, um, it's, it's King Zedekiah and man, Zedekiah is most of them are morons, Yeah, <laughs> but I would probably have done a lot of the same thing, but, um, here's what it says. It just says, um, you know, Zedekiah was 21 when he became king, which is probably their first problem, and reigned 11 years in Jerusalem, so he's 32. His mother's name, blah, blah, blah. Uh, he did evil in the Lord's sight, just as Jehoiakim had done. Because of the Lord's anger, right? Again, this is the end of Second Kings, right? We have gotten through all of the all of these bad kings. We were at the end. Um, because of the Lord's anger, it came to the point in Jerusalem and Judah that he finally banished them from his presence. Then Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon, hmm. and like I, that 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 hit like me square in the chest, right? Because we're um, I, I just wrote we we start to make bad decisions when we um, disassociate or when we're not in when we're not dwelling in the presence of the Lord, like that that the little Judah would even hmm. think about rebelling against Babylon. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine, <laughs> like <laughs> this thirty-two-year-old guy? 30-year-old guy, and he says, you know what I'm going to do? The Lord has been, I have, I have stopped hearing from the Lord. He, we are clearly, you know, first of all, you don't even recognize a lot of times when you're not in the Lord's presence, because usually you give up on God before he gives up on you, okay? And we, we leave his presence before he kicks us out. Right. So, uh, and the, the benefit of the Holy Spirit is that we're just not kicked out anymore right. like he covers that now but but imagine being this guy and he is no longer in the lord's presence the the country is completely um in the toilet and he said you know what would be a good idea now i'm gonna rebel against babylon <laughs> and what happens babylon just sweeps the floor with judah and takes them all captive and um and just the decision making ability that we have just completely goes out the window when we are outside of the Lord's presence. Yeah. And unfortunately, we do that to ourselves because why? Mm-hmm. I think that I can handle this situation better or God's not doing it on my timeline, so I'm going to do it myself. And really, for me, that's probably what it is more often is I don't intentionally say God's saying this, I'm going to do this other thing. I just say, maybe I'll do what God wants, but I'll do it in my timing. Or I think mm-hmm. this is probably what God would want, but he's not acting fast enough, so I'm just going to go ahead and go for it. And... Um, if you don't, if you don't pair up his timing and his and his actions, like you're you're outside of it, mm. you know. So, 
anyway, anyway, I just it struck me that from a bird's eye view how dumb Zedekiah and <laughs> Judah were. Yeah. Um, but but what what can you expect from somebody who's who's been booted out of the presence of the Lord? Yeah, and and it and it is a horrible end for him. I mean they uh, they kill his children in front of him and then gouge his eyes out. So it's the last thing he sees Ugh. and so forth. And before he dies, it's like they they really knew how to hurt people. But the um, but the thing there is that uh, you know he's a contemporary of Jeremiah. And uh, Jeremiah is constantly, when we get to Jeremiah, you'll, you'll see that Jeremiah is constantly saying to him, telling people to defect to Babylon, you know. Mm. And so he's like, shut up, Jeremiah, you're running our chances. <laughs> yeah. you know, you're, you're the reason we're losing is because of, and, that, and that's, you're right, that's how we get when we are completely outside the will of God. And then, and then all of a sudden it's like, all right, now, okay, let's go back and let's try this. And then we're going to do all these Christian-y things or whatever and make it work. And I'm going to, you know, this is, this reminds me of the guys who are like, maybe we gave money to the church or they, they just think of things that sound like something. They sound spiritual. They sound spiritual. So we do these things and think they will work. And God's like, you have no idea how my heart works or how my mind works or whatever. You're not even, you have, I've, I've already said it's done now. Now what I want you to do is just go take the punishment that I'm giving to you. And and it's like, so on one end, you know, you're disobedient here and now you think you're doing something right. Unrighteous people think they're doing righteous things. And, and that, but they're so separated from God, they don't even recognize when their righteous thinking is unrighteous, yeah. and and you can tell when when people are pretending to do Christian things to appease mm-hmm. God or whatever. Yeah. Like it's obvious to us. Like let's how, pray or yeah. something, or maybe we should do. You know, maybe. And and when people get desperate, you know, it's like uh, it's like I've been disobedient, 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 disobedient. Okay, now I I, be, I need to be obedient because bad things are happening. My kids are sick or, or I'm losing my job or whatever. And so I got to do a bunch of obedient things. And so they just start doing random religious acts mm-hmm. and so forth. Mm-hmm. It is, and it's kind of sad. It's, yeah. well, it's extremely sad, but yeah. So good word. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. I guess I get some, uh, <laughs> in Acts chapter Bring us four, home, Troy. Acts chapter four, very next chapter in Acts, um, we look at um, after the uh, this uh, the story kind of continues. They have this guy at the gate called Beautiful. He gets healed and so forth, and uh, and so he gets uh, healed and uh, and then uh, they proclaim this message, and they're proclaiming a message about the resurrection. And and that's what's important to understand is that this the the political power in this time period, the people that actually got Jesus crucified, the people that are in bed with the Romans, so to speak, weren't the Pharisees, they were the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the wealthy, affluent, uh, really nominal in their faith because they didn't believe in the things the prophets talked about. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in an afterlife. So really, they, they don't have a, a real faith to speak of, Jewish faith to speak of, very very similar in a lot of ways uh, to a lot of what's in Israel now. I think a lot of people mm. think that Israel is very uh, religious, but they're not. Uh, for most of it, it's a nominal faith. They're ethnic uh, Jews. Uh, there are Orthodox Jews, and I think it's becoming more, like in Christianity, it's becoming more pronounced uh, that people who are, you're the one or the other, you're the in or you're out. Um, and 
the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, so they hear this group of people talking about the resurrection and so forth, and they're like, we got to silence this and stop all this talk and so forth, and because uh, they're going to create problems for us. They see them as radical zealots that are damaging their political position, and so uh, starting an uprising. So they, so they um, go, they get them, and uh, they go round them up and arrest them and so forth, and so they call Peter and John in, and um, and they, it says in verse 16, it says, what should we do with these men? For an obvious sign has been done through them, clear to everyone living in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Remember, I talked about him being publicly healed. But so that this does not spread any further among the people, let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name again. So they called for them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide, for we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done, for the sign of healing had been performed on a man over 40 years old. Um, so the thing that struck my head, though, is that uh, how many... <laughs> opportunities I have to share the gospel and fail to do so and think that here you have Peter and John are saying, you know, you are going to tell us uh, what's right or wrong and uh, and we're going to do what God tells us to do. And I thought, you know, there's so many times when people say something similar to me, like you can't talk about Jesus here. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> okay, I can't talk about Jesus here. Okay. <laughs> you Just say I can't, I can't. Okay, you you win, uh, and with no threat of penalty and no threat of anything, just them simply asking, please don't talk about Jesus, please don't talk about God. It it offends us or it makes us uncomfortable or whatever, and we just simply acquiesce to that. And I and it and it, and it bothers me that uh, that you have after Pentecost you have the disciples who are constantly sharing about Christ and the hope that's in Christ and uh, and. Uh, that I there's so often I I never even let people know I am a follower of Jesus Christ. If, and if you I'm in so many situations where I walk away from it, I think I don't think they even know that I know Christ. You know, or or and they may not know Christ. They may not know anything about Christ to think about me knowing Christ because I didn't say anything about who Jesus is or whatever. And so you know I I just think that um, that there's a need for us to be bolder in our faith about going, you know, when I think about getting back to the church of the of the first century, it is about just seeing the the need for us to always have discussions about Jesus upon our lips, and to just take that bold step. I, and when I'm around people who are bolder in their conversations, I, I'm i enamored by that. I'm like, I just want that so bad. I want to just, just to speak it out and so forth. And every time I have... I never feel bad about it. I never feel, oh, but God didn't want me to talk about him so openly. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, and, and I and I do that when I go on mission trips. You know, after you spend a few thousand dollars and you <laughs> are overseas in another country and so forth. I guess I'll do this. It's like <laughs> I need to do this, yeah. But I, it always bothers me. And, and usually when I come back, I'm, I'm I'm on fire for a little bit and get get out into the neighborhood. But um, it, it's because it's present on my mind. But, wow, it's amazing how quickly we just we get comfortable it's almost like there's an enemy or something who's, who's like trying aggressively to make, uh, <laughs> trying to stop us from doing that yeah, exactly. psychologically like a system environmentally or yeah. yeah yeah it is kind of funny that'd be though. weird if there was yeah it would be weird if there was really something like that so anyway that's um that's um yeah yeah mm. Mm. all right
Well, that's, that's good. It's a lot yeah. of good stuff. Yeah, so much. Again, like we said, we've said multiple times, you got to read it. Got to read it for yourself. Gotta read we, it to believe it. We'll. Uh, I don't know if we have any questions, but we have some questions. We do. Well, I mean, things that I think people should ask. I, I think there. I have a couple discussion okay. points. Okay. Sure. Good. Good. All right. All right. We'll do it when we come back. We'll be right back. Question and answer segment. Um, I have a question. Okay. I've been mis misreading this verse my entire life. I think. Okay. Um, it says in Acts 2:42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Mm-hmm. I've always I've always thought of it as to prayer, um, but it says the prayers. So I guess my question is: Is there like a particular prayer book they have in mind, or a set of prayers? Um, it doesn't sound very Baptist to me, Troy. Well, in the um, uh, the Christian Standard Bible, uh, it is not prayers. It is it is prayer. It is prayer, <laughs> which, is, which is which is what I would call the Baptist Bible. Okay. Uh, the, uh, uh, it is. A, it's, this is the HCSB it, though that I'm reading it, out of. It could be. I similar. know, it, but in a newer translation, uh-huh, that when they okay. revised it, yeah, they gotcha. um, they went back and said, "Whoa, wait a second, this is very Baptist. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Oh, I think I read that wrong. That's true. Uh, but no, the uh, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Um, and um, it is a, but um, the uh, in Greek, you know, prayer, but the word prayer also can be plural. I think when we when we use when I say that I am a person who is engaged in prayer, it's not a singular idea. It's kind of mm-hmm. like fish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it can be what, but when you use the word prayers. You get the, you do get this idea of this uh, liturgical right. that we have prayers that we that we are that we're valley engaging of vision. In, right mm-hmm, and so forth. So uh, it is it's when you're doing the when you're trying to interpret the Bible, it's like well what was what was the intent here? What were they they trying to say? And either either way, it really is the same thing. If it's prayers or if it's prayer. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that they have a liturgical book of prayers or whatever, but it does mean that uh, they are um, that they are praying people. And uh, and there is a uh, I think there is a um, I, I think you're going to come from a, a Jewish background where there would be something to that they would be very familiar with the idea of having prayers and so forth and prayers that are prayed. Oh my goodness! My daughter calling me during the podcast. Uh, the um, the she could be on the podcast. Maybe she has a question. She could be. It could be a question for the podcast. Um, but the I think the um, I think that yeah. I, I don't want to make it more than it is. It, mm-hmm. it is uh, because it it is we are looking at it from a liturgical lens because we have a liturgical background. Yeah. Uh, you know of, of history, church history, and so forth, and definitely. Uh, would have fed into more orthodox. I'm trying to be careful here. Yeah. More orthodox <laughs> thinking people of saying this is what it means that we should have a book of prayer or whatever. Well, that's why I'm, that's why I'm curious because yeah. if there is something they dedicated themselves to that I don't know anything about, right. I want to know what it is. Yeah. Um, if it's if it's just this is how they prayed at the time and we pray how we pray now, 
great. Well, it definitely evolved into that if they didn't do it. Uh-huh. I mean, in an early at an early time. Yeah. I mean, when you go back to the church fathers, prayers are being written, prayers are being given uh-huh. to people and so forth. Jesus gave them a model prayer to pray and so forth. The Lord's Prayer obviously has been uh-huh. around for a very, very long time. Yeah. I'm into I mean, that. It, well, under the institution of Jesus. Yeah. So I mean you're you're not saying something that would be far off. We don't know specifically that when Luke is recording this, that this was a practice of the early church just by what we're reading in the text. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it, it could be, but it's mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily saying that by gotcha. the word. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. Well, okay. um, did you have... I had something, yes, uh, from, um, from Acts chapter 2. Uh, and this is a one that uh, is a question that uh, I I asked, and I'm just going to tell you the answer I got from somebody who's much smarter than I am. All right. uh, it was from Acts chapter two, uh, where it says in uh, it says um, verse six. It says when the sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking. In his own language, they were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues." They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But some sneered and said, They are drunk on new wine. Um, And this is a pretty, again, going back to a Baptist thing here, uh, Baptist and the speaking tongues thing don't typically get along very well. But here's, uh, I had a uh, a professor, John Paul Hill is actually his name. He wrote, literally wrote the commentary on the book of Acts. And so had him for New Testament and and the study of the book of Acts. And so um, asked him, said, hey, Dr. Paul Hill, in your age, he was the oldest professor at our seminary and had been around and had actually been with a lot of different scholars over the years and so forth. And this was something that he had spent some time on trying to discern. And and this is something I didn't realize, that in the text, when we talk about glossolalia, uh, a couple of things. One is... When people talk about uh, speaking in tongues, a lot of times they think of an, an, un, an intelligible language, uh, what we would call, uh, which should be more referred to as a prayer language like a prayer or language. ecstatic utterances, more so what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians. Mm. When we're talking about this here, we're talking about a dialect, and, that's, and there's no disputing that. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a dialect that they right. were hearing. So they were, they were hearing in a particular language. But the question is, is it a miracle of hearing or is it a miracle of speaking? And when you go back and read it, it says, isn't it amazing that we hear our in our own language? So it doesn't make clear whether the apostles are simply speaking and everyone hears in their own language, or if the apostles are literally speaking each of these different languages. Now, the, the reason why the miracle of hearing thing kind of rises to the surface in some respects is because it, uh, it's, it's more of a, uh, how are they speaking? How are all these, I mean, just logistically, you're trying to think. So is each apostle speaking one language at a time? Is each apostle speaking... Uh, uh, are they all speaking one language and then move to another language and then move to another language and then move mm-hmm. to another cycling language, through. you know, and cycling through and so forth. So how is how is that transparent? The difficulty with that interpretation. So I, I get it. I understand why you would say that that would have to be a miracle of hearing. So they're just simply communicating 
and everybody hears in their own language. The difficulty is what Luke is actually talking about, and that is the giving of the Holy Spirit. We just had these tongues of fire that come upon each of the apostles, so they possess the Holy Spirit. In order for the people to have the miracle of hearing, one would think that the Holy Spirit would have to be in each of the people who is hearing. And it also says in verse 4, not to not to disagree with the seminary professor who wrote a commentary on Acts, right? Yeah. But um, it says in verse 4, they began to speak in different languages as the Spirit gave them ability for speech. So it seems like a yeah. miracle of speech. No, that's no, that's what I'm saying. That's the yeah. translation part. Yeah. Uh, that word, if you were looking at the actual word, it doesn't Isn't it does technically not, it's not say clear. It's not technically clear as to whether they are speaking in different tongues or they are, or people are hearing in the tongues. I mean, I'm saying, if I say, if, if I say I'm speaking in Chinese uh-huh. uh, to you, and I'm, but I'm, but you're just hearing Chinese. I'm hearing Chinese. You know? And so it's that, it's that glossolalia. Is that uh, that it doesn't? Mm. It's it depends on. I mean, as you dissect the language, it's like saying uh, it, you lean one way or the other. And that's what he told me. He says if so you come from a perspective. Are like kind of go, yeah, it's like so. It's like so. It's it's implying that you are hearing a language. I am speaking yeah. a language, but who is speaking why? Right, you right. know what I'm saying? Um, but uh, yes, the reason why it's translated the way you are saying, the way mm-hmm. we're reading it, is because of that inference that yeah. it would be the Holy it's, Spirit is upon the them. The point is the work of what the, the Holy Spirit is doing so on the apostles. They, so most likely they are speaking in the language, uh-huh. not people hearing the language that's being spoken. I got you. So, uh, so yeah, I, so we lean toward that. But it is, but people will, but you'll hear other people make that argument. I think they're trying to make the argument because they're trying to say that they don't think people speak in tongues. Mm. Uh, that that's invalid. Mm. Uh, but um, sure. but here's here's my thing is that one if you if someone speaks in a tongue, this is the the message of the word is that there should be there always will be an interpreter if it's from God. So the the goal is God's not God is not trying to speak things that people don't understand. He's trying to bring understanding. So the the idea is is that where you wouldn't understand clearly before he can make it clear to you. And so that would be the miracle. Uh, and uh, and so if it happened today, it would have that same thing. The other thing about speaking in tongues in the book of Acts is that it was also uh, a revelatory, meaning a word was given mm-hmm. that was actually the word of God. Right. And, and they didn't have the word of God. They didn't have a Bible. So God is revealing the word through these people. That if if there's anything that has ceased, that has ceased, because there, there can be no more. There's no new word from God. Can shit. But so so when we talk about an event where somebody stands up in a church and begins to speak in Mandarin Chinese and begins to communicate that which God has already revealed, that's not the same thing we're talking about happening yeah. here or in, throughout the Book of Acts. That that would be miraculous. It and, would, but it also makes sense why it would get chaotic in Corinth. Because it's like a port city, a lot of languages going around. Right. They could, it could be an angel language or it could be a well, they had, language. And they, just they had a, a practice in Corinth. They had a practice of ecstatic utterances in their pagan temples, and yeah. so that was something that that would have been common in their culture, and so they, it kind of bled over into the church. And uh, and while uh, well, it's called the tongues of angels or whatever, you know, this heavenly language. Or whatever, and I don't want to take it away from it because I know people who have experienced it and practice it and so forth, and very godly people, and I, I trust that it brings them closer to God. All Paul was saying is it just doesn't have a place in worship because it doesn't edify the body. It may edify you in your personal time of worship with God, but in corporate worship, it just doesn't have a place there. Cool, cool. 
Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, man, thank you guys for listening. It's um, been fun. Thank you to our new audio engineer. Thank you, Austin, Austin. the engineer. Um, and we will see you next time on Understanding Jesus. Thanks again for listening to the Understanding Jesus podcast. If you would like more information on Understanding Jesus or First Baptist Church of Jackson or would just like to submit a question or comment, then you can call the church office at 573-243-8415 or you can email us at office at fbcj.us. Thanks so much. We'll see you soon.